everybody, get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on a beautiful weekend here in D.C. We have a great show today. Mark Rios is joining us. He's the creative director of beverages at the Mayflower Hotel, one of my favorite hotels in the world. I used to have breakfast there every morning. I know you um, that. But any beverage program, I'm just saying this about you, Mark, that goes as far as it, yours does to have a creative director. It's got to be a good one. So uh, we're going to hear about Edgar's bar, mm-hmm. a Kitchen and Bar. Let's introduce the rest of the guests. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my thing. It's mm-hmm. a great watering hole. It's an homage to J. Edgar Hoover, so we're going to have to talk about that. Mm-hmm. George Rodriguez is here. He's the chef owner of El Mercate Tapas. He's back. He's back. Not just here, he's back. George, you're back. back. Yay, George. I didn't know he was gone. Okay. But okay. He's the owner of El Mercat in Rockville Town Center uh, with a menu that celebrates Spain's uh, tasty cultural diversity. Mm -hmm. I made that up myself. Um, Once monthly, the restaurant hosts flamenco nights, and later we're going to be hearing from the the resident guitarist Miguelito Perez, who will be playing for us, and hopefully flamenco dancer Mariano Gatto will check in. Mm -hmm. We're still trying to reach her online. So, as a Montgomery County boy, born and bred, I'm happy to have our next guest, Corey Van Horn, as Chief Strategy Officer for Visit Montgomery. And we're going to be hearing all about what the county... The county has apparently millions of visitors that come there every year, specifically to see what's going on in the county. I didn't know that because I'm a boob and too innerly focused, I I did. I knew that. Well, you knew that because you read it. But we're going to hear about the new Tastemaker Trail that features more than 20 county-based craft beverage producers, mm-hmm. and that'll be fun. And Lauren Bernstein is here. She's the founder and CEO of the Culinary Diplomacy Project. Its mission is to promote better cross-cultural awareness through global culinary engagement. They work with high-profile chefs who travel to different countries, learn the cuisine and culture from the local folks, and then come back here it's and such spread a cool the good project. Word. I'm so excited Lauren is in studio to talk about what she's Well, I doing. like Lauren, too, because she's a MoCo girl, too. She went to Churchill High School. <laughs> Boo to you. Let's start with Mark. Mark. Okay. Where do you give a little background on you first? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I landed in DC about five years ago, originally from the West Coast. Uh, that's where I found my passion for beverage. Um, what was it that uh, created your passion for beverage? High school. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, I do enjoy drinking, uh, mm-hmm. but I think um, finding that passion was presenting something in a liquid form to make people happy is what really drove my passion, and you know, the cre- coming up with uh, concepts of you know, putting ingredients together that really sort of like elaborate and elevate an experience. Well, correct cocktail making, like a balanced cocktail is an art form. So how did you go from a kid drinking and being like, yeah, I like booze. I want to play with Mm, it. Thunderbird is good wine. (laughs) uh, To learning, to educating yourself on balance and interesting ingredients. Because we talked about some of the drinks you're making and they are, you know, it's not just pouring a couple things together and shaking it up. So what was your education like? Uh, sure. I mean, it's definitely a work in process. Um, mm-hmm. I'm always learning from, you know, all the top bars from around the world and picking up books on reading and just really just experimenting. Um, but, you know, I've had the opportunity to um, manage bars and um, not only do that, but also develop programs. So with that comes that sort of 
autonomy to do and learn from them. Right, what's that. the first drink you're What's the first make? drink you're making? Uh, I'm going to make a classic old fashioned. Um, mm-hmm. So that's how people refer to me. <laughs> so we. Uh, Who? So our new you. menu. <laughs> our new menu at Edgar is uh, going to be a play on old school and new school. Okay. So every. Uh, classic cocktail is going to have an interpretation. Um, so first I'll be doing a classic old fashioned. It's going to be Angel's Envy bourbon, Demerara sugar, orange and Angostura. Cool. Bitters, when you come back, we're going to talk about Edgar's and Jay, Edgar okay. Hoover and Clyde Tolson. Awesome. So let's hear a little beautiful guitar playing, shall we? Just to get us Miguelito in the mood. Perez. Hi, Miguelito. Can we play a little guitar? Uh, yes, bring yes, us in? yes, yes. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> Thank you. That's so wow. beautiful. It we makes should have started wanna, off the show with that. It, my God. I'm sure it makes you want me to dress up in my Zorro outfit, <laughs> which I will do later, of course, <laughs> tonight. You. That's beautiful. Know, at home. Um, so, George, let's talk to you. Let's talk a little bit about your background first yeah. and how you how El Mercato came to be. Yeah, I'm born and raised in Brazil, um, being here to, in the U.S. in 2007. So I've always loved, really— uh, Culinary and cooking, I always did for my friends, for my family. Uh, when I was in uh, college for civil engineering, mm-hmm. um, I was reading these books about uh, chefs around the world. And uh, back then, I was really into Italian. That's what I liked. Um, Benissimo, Caro. Yeah. And, and, so who and, were you and, cooking with? And, like, what was it about Italian that was turning you on? Um, I like pasta. I like the the process of making I mean, it, I like pasta and too. and uh, you know it's a comfy food. It's mm-hmm. it's it's fun. Uh, um, you know you enjoy eating. Um, and back then I was reading these books and about chefs, and always this name of uh, these names would come up. Um, Spanish chefs, like you know, like you you read about Rene Redzepi mm-hmm. or, or Ferran Real or Jose Andres and mm-hmm. Jose oh, Garces. Yeah, and I, I, I well, start... Well, except for Jose Garces, the three you sort of start with, mm-hmm. they were not cooking Spanish comfort food. You right. know, they were really elevating the cuisine yeah. and uh, a lot of uh, molecular gastronomy, mm-hmm. which was, you know, Ferran Andrea was one of the, at the forefront of right. that. So they were not, you know, if you go back like 20 years ago, they were not cooking like yummy pasta. No, they were no. cooking experiences, right? Right, and I was really interested on 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 the that part of uh, you know the the molecular gastronomy that you mm-hmm. need to figure out the chemicals and and you know the ratios and everything. And I, I always thought that was really interesting. Um, but as deep I, I I start to get into the 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 Spanish culinary world, I I really thought a connection with it. Um, I mean, being from Brazil, younger age, I used to be a hunter. Mm-hmm. as well with my grandpa on his farm and you know there was that sense of like if you kill someone you use everything you don't waste anything and right. and i found that commonality with uh the spanish cuisine mm-hmm. uh because spain spain is a, a relatively small country but if you go to the the coastal area you're going to have food that is heavily uh influenced by seafood and if you go to the mountain areas you're going to have you know, a lot of uh, rabbits or, or poultry or, or something like that. So mm-hmm. I always thought that was interesting. Uh, and, you know, I, I always felt a connection with that, the, the Spanish way of 
cooking, mm -hmm. um, enjoy life, really. That's, that's something that I connect with. Well, all right. So, so how does that translate to the new restaurant? To El Mercado. So when we started the process. And I said new, process, but you've been around like two years? We just turned one. One. Oh, my God. One, one. year and two months Mazel tov. Yay. <laughs> Mazel tov um, is, is not Portuguese or Spanish. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> But it's universal. Um, so when we, when we start the process, the the project, um, um, I really want to do Spanish, mm -hmm. um, and I want I really want to do kind of like rustic, nothing molecular, nothing elevated, avant garde, or anything like that. Um, I want to do very comfy, uh, simple food that we would focus on on those flavors, and that's mm -hmm. what we decide to go with, really. Okay, so let's talk about some of the food like that you brought in today mm -hmm. and sort of the cuisine that's served there for people who maybe don't aren't familiar with Spanish food. Right, so uh, the two dishes that I brought here today, one is, uh, I'm not a vegetarian person, but this was the first vegetarian dish that I tried that I was like really mm -hmm. shocked and I amazed how good it was. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called escalivara. Mm -hmm. So it's a roasted vegetables. Um, you know, in this case, we use uh, onions, red bell peppers, and um, um, uh, eggplants. It looks lava. like a like a warm salsa kind of right, right. right? Um, and you, you usually eat that with a piece of bread or mm -hmm. pita bread. Um, you know, have a little bit of uh, labine uh, yogurt in the bottom. Yum. Um, and the second one is uh, uh, San Sebastian cheesecake or mm -hmm. burnt cheesecake, uh, right. and that's because uh, the last trip that I did to Spain, uh, I went to San Sebastian, and mm -hmm. it was the first time that I tried. I always loved cheesecake. But, you know, it was always like that heavy kind of thing. So, like, when I first mm. tried it, the, the, the San Sebastian, I, I, I really immediately fell in love with it. It's very hot right now. Yeah. It's on quite a few menus, the mass cheesecake. <laughs> it is popping up. Okay, so let's talk about Flamingo Nights because we have this beautiful guitarist in the studio. Wait, let's let Michelito, let's give us a couple of riffs there. Oh, of course, of course, sure. Why not? Yeah. Behind the flamenco dancing, and away we go. So, right. Michelito, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about the kind of guitar you play? Okay. Well, I, I'm not a DC or Moco native. I'll have to put that. <laughs> All right, get front. out. Okay. I don't know <laughs> what you're doing here. Who invited you? <laughs> but okay, I've been here for um, since 1990, so that makes it 33 years. Am okay. I? You've been here longer than me, dude. Oh, okay. So, uh, but I graduated college 33 years ago. I went to college in California where I majored in classical guitar. Mm -hmm. My last year in college, I fell in love with flamenco. And I decided to finish my degree in classical guitar and get a job playing for dance classes, flamenco dance classes in L.A. Wow. And then I decided to move here to the D.C. area in 1990. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I did was I, I called the George Washington University to find out if they had uh, flamenco classes. And it turns out that they did. And so I started playing for the classes oh, that's there. That's great. The students in that class, um, later on, I became the performers and teachers of today. So I've been doing that this now for 30, 33 years here in the D.C. So area. when do we see you and hear you at Elmer Cut? Um, well, uh, usually it's um, once or twice, usually twice a month. Yeah. And on a Tuesday night, typically. Yeah, mm -hmm. we usually do 
every other week. Uh, we try to bring uh, both of them. And the funny thing, like how we met, is uh, him, uh, Miguelito, and Mariana. They came to the restaurant to to, to dine. And uh, my wife, which is the owner of the restaurant, Vanessa Alves, got to talk to them. And she came to the kitchen, and she was like, "Oh, we have these two performers there dining over here with us." And, uh-huh. and there was a plan that we had from the beginning before we opened the restaurant. Like, ha- let's have like nights that we have like guitarist or like entertainment yeah okay we're gonna take a quick break david and nikki nellis foodie and the beast michaelito will you play us out hey nick let's take a couple seconds to talk about the point oh the point in buzzard point yeah well, Buzzard Point is really interesting because it's a new area that has totally kind of come up out of the water. It is where the Potomac and Anacostia Rivers meet, and now this development is there. And the Point DC is the very first restaurant there. So it has amazing water views, this incredible patio, fire pits. It is a great place to grab a drink and sit out and look at the water and eat amazing oysters. Oh, and seafood and sushi and steaks and more because we've done that. Exactly. So if you haven't been to the point, it's time for you to check it out. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We've been talking to George Rodriguez, who's chef owner at El Mercate Tapas mm-hmm. in Rockville. And one of the lovely things, along with a great menu, is that the show, the show, the restaurant features a show, uh, a show, um, uh, flamenco guitarist Miguelito Perez uh, and flamenco dancer Mariana Gatto. And Mariana's on the phone with us. Hey, Mariana. How are you? Hello. How are you? So can you give, um, for people who may not be familiar or maybe have a stereotypical view of flamenco dancing, can you talk a little bit about it? Well, yes. Well, first of all, flamenco for me, okay, because I'm gypsy from Bulgaria. My mother's from Spain. Mm-hmm. For me, flamenco, first of all, um, you know, a lot of people think it comes from Spain, which it does. It's it's from there. Uh, but flamenco for me and what I have heard around and what I've experienced in my own experience in flamenco is that it comes from the South, like from the India, from India, from different cultures, like hmm. uh, a lot of the Jewish, really? Jewish influence. Um, like of course. <laughs> You go to a synagogue and you hear the the, the um, songs or the hymns or how you would say, you know, it's very similar to flamenco now. Interesting. Yeah, so, I've yeah, never heard that before. Yes, beautiful. And so um, for me, that's why I perform. That's why I dance, because I think it brings so much passion, so much culture and so much um, just depth, right? And just one art form. How long did yeah? it take you to learn how to do that? So uh, I started at three years old, mm-hmm. right? So you've been doing and it a long time. Then, yeah. From then on, I have been performing. Mm-hmm. But I would say flamenco is something, of course, you have to learn and it takes years to get it perfect and all of that. But really, flamenco is about feeling. It's about emotions. So, you know, so of course, anything is practice, right? And that takes, you know, as much as you can and whatever you have to give. But a lot of it is emotion and what, you know, passion, what you're actually giving through your steps and through your passion, through your well, movement. Well, how do you and Michaelito work together? Because, I mean, he's been playing guitar in here this morning. And, I mean, the music is rousing, to say the least. So how do you two work together? Okay. Um, in the performance, like inside the performance, we... Um, there's a lot, like I said, about emotions and stuff. We connect through not speaking, not even sometimes rehearsing. I just get there maybe like, you know, 
10 minutes before I go, I see him, hello, and I go. Mm -hmm. And we don't even curse. And part of that is because we have the structure, of course, of flamenco and everything, but there's a connection. You know, if we look at him and he knows that I'm ready, you know, or he knows when I am a little tired <laughs> and he knows when I want to bring it on that day, right? So there's a connection through the la mirada, the look um, that you, I give him. Really, mm -hmm. it's that. So I have a very mundane, basic question. When you're all done, do your feet hurt? Okay, that's a stupid question. I don't know. When I watch flamenco <laughs> dancers, they're banging their feet on the floor for, you know, 15, you 20 know minutes. Why? What? I think the adrenaline, I don't know how to say it correctly, but the adrenaline is so powerful in flamenco. And like I said, again, I'm emphasizing so much the emotion and passion. It takes over the body in such a way for me mm -hmm. that after, when I'm dancing, I can have like a broken ankle and I would not realize oh. anything. Right, because of your passion. Like, wow. <laughs> well, so, George, we have about a minute left. Chef, tell us about how you incorporate this at the restaurant and what the experience is like for people who are dining there at that time. So we want to we really to bring them over um, and uh, so, so they can have uh, or guests can have a little bit of that experience. Mm -hmm. You know, like when we when my wife and I did trips throughout Spain, we we enjoyed a lot of uh, flamenco and uh, we want to bring that experience to our guest dining experience you combine that and make a more richer mm -hmm. uh, experience for them to to for those who knows what is spain to feel that back again and for those who don't know they can learn a little bit more about other cultures as well i love it okay so tell everybody please where they can find you so we are at Rockville um, Town Square. Mm -hmm. That's 101 Gibbs Street right. uh, in Rockville, Maryland. Um, Excellent. And online? Uh, online uh, or website is uh, Elmercat. Um, Speak in the mic because they can't hear you. Um, yeah. Uh, you can find us on, online at Elmercat. You're going to see all the events over there and uh, our menus and everything. Great. And Miguelito, where can we find you? You can find me on dcflamenco.com. Excellent. And Mariana, where can we follow you at? A on Instagram, mm -hmm. M, like M Gatto, G A T T O, Duran, D U R A N, at, um, and you'll find me there on Instagram or Facebook. Same. Excellent. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you all so Thank much. You. And Gato in Spanish is cat because I remember my high school Spanish. <laughs> right. El caballo es crío. Um, okay, Mark, let's go back to you. Um, this cocktail is sneaky. Well, she hasn't shared it. Do you it's notice? It's been sitting how, in front of you the entire time. But it's delicious. There's plenty more to go around. Give me yeah, a shot really. of that. So um, let's talk about J. Edgar Hoover and Clyde Tolson. And sure. They were. Why is it an, Why is the, the the restaurant and bar, why are the restaurant and bar named after him? Uh, so uh, during his tenure as the director of FBI, J. Edgar Hoover actually dined at the Mayflower mm -hmm. every day uh, during his tenure. And he had the same thing for lunch every single day. What do you have? He had a half a grapefruit. He lettuce. Lettuce, where he brought his own salad dressing. And then huh. uh, cottage cheese, and then a cup of uh, chicken. He soup. was a strange dude, and he he had the goods on so everybody. Wait, that's for all he years. ate. Yeah, that's all he ate. I know, but wasn't he a very large man? No, he was short. No, no, and no, rotund. but rotund. Well, yes. Okay, I'm just saying. Yeah, that was. That was uh, he must have been binging in the bathroom. Yeah, something else must have been something. going on. He yeah. and Clyde were <laughs> you're showing face, snorting sugar or something. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing. Okay, so you do the bar is an homage to him because yep. he used to eat there all the time. How did you guys go about crafting? I mean, you've been around now for almost ten years. Yep. How did you go about crafting the bar menu? 
So um, kind of like I alluded to earlier, um, I think it really just plays into the history of the hotel of, you know, being a D.C. classic hotel. Um, we've been around since 1925, the hotel itself. Mm-hmm. So just um, playing off of that history, uh, going with classic cocktails, but also moving forward in a direction where, um, you know, we are in the hustle and bustle of downtown D.C. So keeping that in line with, you know, our new school cocktails that are juxtaposed. And the hotel was just renovated, not just renovated, but the, a couple of years ago went through another one because we, Nikki and I, spent the weekend there in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Don't smile. Why are you smiling at me? <laughs> Everybody has a Mayflower story. Well, you're right. We do. We, we do. Oh, do we? But yes, anyways, they had just finished that renovation, a $33 million renovation. The hotel's gorgeous. It's just stunning. And Marriott owns it now, right? It is a Marriott property, and we are a part of uh, the autograph the collection. The autograph collection, Excellent. yeah. All, All right. right. What are we making next? Uh, so next is going to be the juxtaposition to our old fashion. It's going to be called the Grand Dom. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of... Uh, Presidents and vice presidents have coined the term for the hotel as the Grand Dom of D.C. So that's an homage to that there. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be uh, Angels Envy Rye bourbon with, uh, or Angels Envy Rye with uh, Añejo rum, Demerara, and uh, chocolate bitters blend. So nobody is walking out of studio today. No. Is that the deal, Mark? That's what's Everything happening. Everything is stirred and boozy. I'd like okay. to point out that Nikki makes me refer to her as the Grand Dame. So there's a rivalry here. All right. I pre- actually, so- I prefer the Queen, but whatever. Potato, potato. Yes, right. Your Majesty. <laughs> right. All right. Corey Van Horn. Corey A. Van Horn. Corey A. Van Horn. Corey yes. A. <laughs> hey, Corey. WNBC. Corey A. Van Horn is the chief strategy officer for Visit Montgomery. Yes. And it's a great it's a great job. Well, it's a great opportunity. So we've had lots of bids from around the world come in to talk about Explain tourism. what a bid is. People out there don't know what a bid is. Well, why don't you explain what a bid a is? A business investment district. Yes. So we're actually a, um, a DMO. So we're known as a destination marketing organization. Okay. So similar to like a CVB um, mm-hmm. is another term that you would have. Yes. So our entire job is to promote tourism for Montgomery County. Right. So... Like I said, we've had lots in yeah. studio. So let's talk about what the your um, priorities are to educate not just the local public, but the tourism dollar budget, you know, uh, public at um, everywhere to come to Montgomery County. Yeah, I mean, Visit Montgomery's entire mission is to to drive travel. So our fir- first and foremost is to get people to come from outside and visit the county. Well, stay from overnight. where outside? Like where? Not Anywhere. just not just locals, but. In general, yeah. In I mean, general, it's anywhere. Yeah, um, uh, mostly road trips. So three to four hours. East of the Mississippi. Yeah, east of the Mississippi. Wow. Um, leisure travel, business, government travel, groups and meetings, all of the above. Um, people are coming. Um, Montgomery County is actually the most visited uh, county in Maryland. So a lot of people don't know that for good reason. Right. Well, so what <laughs> is it that you're selling in Montgomery County? Like, I mean, as Montgomery County residents, and actually the. Studio. Are we in Montgomery County? We yeah, are, right? We're we like right on the DC line. About 30 feet. Yeah. Um, we know what's here in our, you know, in a certain part of the area. Montgomery County is massive and yeah. there's a huge big ag area, yeah. so, so many farms, all the farmers markets, restaurants, new retail areas, new real estate, you know, I'm thinking of Pike and Rose or Rockville Town Center. So how do you go about managing all the differences in what's available in Montgomery County? That's also what makes it unique is the blend of urban and rural. I mean, the fact that you can go from uh, Bethesda into Poolsville and and go up the a scenic byway and, and have all right. these different experiences. Right. So, But in the last, let's say, 20 years, 
Uh, there's been a big push on local farms. Mm. There's been an incredible, uh, not push, but explosion of wineries in Montgomery County, as well as breweries, distilleries. How do you all fit in with that? So um, you're right. Over the last 20 years, um, agriculture is really, and ag tourism is really has really mm. blossomed as uh, an industry, uh, and particularly in the U.S., and one third of Montgomery County is actually reserved for rural. It's 93,000 acre agricultural reserve is mm-hmm. the part that it's known as. And in the last you know five or six years, Montgomery County has really started to blossom in the craft beverage industry. And so we as, are you taking notes, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> we we as a tourism organization look for that type of stuff because th- those are the types of experiences that travelers are looking for. And the beauty of that is is that craft beverages give a true taste of place. Mm-hmm. And it's it's truly a flavor of the county. Well, and how do you affect that? How do you go about educating the public of ways to, you know, like I always think about, um, you know, like when you go out to Napa, it's just one road and you can just turn off and go. So it's easy to find things. But since uh, Montgomery County is so vast, how do you go about sort of showing people like here's how you can do your day, like a day in Montgomery County if you want to do X or if you want to do Y? So that's exactly how the Tastemakers Trail was born. Mm-hmm. And that started. I know, it's called a softball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you just gave away a trade secret. <laughs> Welcome to my not first rodeo. <laughs> Way to go, Corey. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, so it's, it's called the Tastemakers Trail. And we started developing it in 2019. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, part of my job is tourism development. And this was the best timed tourism rollout uh, of a product I've ever had. We were supposed to launch on. March 13th, 2020. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing happened in 2020, yeah. but, you know. We're uh, going to get all nostalgic. Yeah. We already talked about it in the <laughs> studio before. And so what we did was uh, we we looked at the uh, the county as a whole. We identified all the craft beverage producers, and, and it was rooted in the experience that we noticed. And the common thread was that we wanted to be able to get people to look up from the glass. So it's not just about the beer or the wine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really about um, – about the makers, and it's about the experiences that are tied to those makers. Are there... oh, no, no, no. We have to take a break. But I don't want to. I wanna. know. I know. When we come back, you can ask your very important questions. It's very <laughs> okay. a, a VIQ. Yes. This is uh, David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Corey Van Horn, who is the Chief Strategy Officer for Visit Montgomery. I have a question. So you talk about all the tourists, 5 million tourists that come into the county every year-ish. Yes. Right. Yes. Are there travel agents that, out there in the world that are saying, "Oh, if you're going to the D.C. area, yeah, you can go downtown, but you really got to stay in Montgomery County, and there's a lot to see there before you go downtown to look at the monuments." So, particularly, it's it's group planners, so people who are are planning um, adult tours or student groups, um, also meeting group meetings. Uh, there's a lot of meeting planners mm-hmm. uh, that look for Montgomery County. Um, a lot of it's because of our proximity to D.C., but also because Montgomery County is unique all its own. I mean, right. it, it, it's definitely a destination that can stand on its own. So can so, we back up a little bit? Because sure. I feel like you got us a little off track. Yeah. So you. Um, so <laughs> can we talk about, so you, you wanted to create MoCo Eats. Yep. It launched when the pandemic started. So how did you take it, evolve it, adapt it to help the restaurants and food industry in Montgomery County over the last three years? And then how did that lead to this Tastemaker Trail? So Moco Eats was the fastest tourism product I've ever developed. Mm -hmm. And it started with a phone call where um, everything was shutting down. Uh, Nobody knew what was open. Nobody knew what was closed. There was a definite need to to communicate that message. Mm -hmm. And um, somebody said, well, we really need uh, some sort of directory. And nobody can do it fast enough. And I said, well, I can do it. 
and launched it in 48 hours. Uh, It has about 800 restaurants listed on it. Mm -hmm. And as things started to open up, what we started to notice was is that you know the the categories that these restaurants were you know really aligned with the diversity of of the county, mm-hmm. and it, it just started to evolve. And you know this is an opportunity to celebrate diversity through cuisine, mm-hmm. and that's how Moco Eats is continuing to evolve. To evolve. So now. how does the general public use Moco Eats? How do you like? How would you advise everybody to u- utilize it? So we have MocoEats.com, which is a part of um, Visit Montgomery. Mm-hmm. So uh, the directory is listed on there. And then also we have an app uh, that it feeds into that called our Adventure Planner app, where you can actually create your own foodie-centric itinerary mm. uh, that, you know, you can just create your own self-guided food tour. Um, and then it's tied into um, Tastemaker's Trail, where not only do you have the craft beverages, but you can also um, eat with, eat in the restaurants um, as well. All right, I, another question, because we have, we have friends who live in Potomac who think that going downtown is to go to Bethesda. You know, and he's and, like, yeah, who, yeah, they do. Yeah. We like that. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, uh, do you have? What do you do to sort of move parts of the county over to other parts of the county so they can experience really what you know the richness of all of it? So the Tastemakers Trail is a perfect example of that mm-hmm. because you have people who live in Bethesda that want to take a drive uh, out and explore the countryside, mm-hmm. and um, you know, a draw for that is to to get them to go to Wardaka Brewing Company and enjoy a pint uh, on a working horse farm, or head over to Windridge Vineyards in Poolsville mm-hmm. and just in, enjoy this this gorgeous view. So uh, that's part of using food as a as a way to get people to move around. Allure, right? Yeah. Well, you mentioned um, earlier sort of ag tourism, mm-hmm. and how do you incorporate that into everything you're doing? So ag tourism is is really, a, again, a blossoming um, opportunity f- mm-hmm. uh, for Montgomery County. Because it's so popular, like, in Europe, mm-hmm. you know, to either stay on a farm or visit a farm. It's, it's, it is growing here, but how are you guys promoting it in Montgomery County? So um, – we're, we're promoting it through um, various promotions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, we do um, different promotions uh, in the fall, um, you know, particularly around, you know, pumpkin season and Oktoberfest. Um, and then uh, we work with our partners such as um, uh, Butler Butler Orchard sure. uh, to make sure that, that the information that they have is posted on our events calendar and things like that. Um, we also look at um, – uh, other opportunities, you know, infrastructure opportunities. Mm-hmm. So much you like, work like with central, like with farm farmers markets, like a central farm market or yep. a fresh farm market, because they're they're such aggregators of talent in the county because they really look not just to farmers but to makers as well. Yeah, right? it, it really is a, a a relationship business that mm-hmm. I'm in. You know, uh, I always say that I'm in the business of relationships because mm-hmm. the more that we understand what's out there, you know, even in the conversation we're having today, I had no idea that there was a flamenco dancer available at a restaurant that right. I can now promote. Look, so. they can crush grapes at the vineyards. <laughs> um, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, do you do you have any involvement with like hooking up the farms with like Mana, you know, and groups like that that because like, there are underserved undernourished folks, even in Montgomery County, which is one, I think the third richest county in America. So we actually work really closely with the Montgomery County Food Council. And so that's really their wheelhouse. And so uh, whenever our, our partners in the hospitality industry have that need, uh, we make a connection to them and then um, they're able to kind of speak the same language. And so we, we bring it over to them. Great. Excellent. All right. Tell everybody, please, where they can find MoCo Eats 
and where they can find the Tastemaker Trail. So you can go to mocoeats.com to learn about all about Clever. Moco Eats. Yeah, very very easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can go to tastemakerstrail.com to learn about the Tastemaker also Trail. Clever. Excellent. And then Corey's going to be joining me in a couple weeks yep. on Industry Night. He's going to bring some of the makers on with him, and we're going to sort of do a deeper dive. So I'm looking forward Bad to that news, conversation. Bad news, Corey. I won't be there. So. Oh, well, right, but I'm, so, I'm super excited. Bring your serious show. voice. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. This drink, Mark. So I'm not a hard alcohol drinker, but the chocolate bitters really come through and not in an overpowering way, but in just a, like a nice like, oh, my God, do I taste chocolate? It feels it's lovely. It's a beautiful cocktail. Thank you. Yeah, it's lovely. So since we were talking about with Corey sort of local products at the bar, do you sort of source locally, whether it's Maryland, D.C., Virginia, um, I don't know, a hundred mile radius, just because there's so many distilleries and and products available locally. Uh, Yeah, we do feature um, some local spirits in the bar, um, Mm -hmm. namely Sagamore Rye, which comes out of Maryland. Yeah, Baltimore. Um, So um, we actually feature it in a cocktail as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we we do incorporate it into the program. Mm -hmm. We do like to support the local community as well. And what's sort of happening right now with the, like, what's the newest thing that's happening right now at the cocktails that you want to share with the public? Um, You know, I would... I would just say that uh, I, th- I think that uh, people are really enjoying um, cocktails out again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think over the last couple of years, there's been that pent-up demand for uh, just an experience of going out to the bar. So uh, a really well-balanced cocktail uh, with presentation and um, you know something that gets the job done, either stirred, stirred and boozy or shaken and Okay. Fun. Well, what are you shaking up next? Uh, so what I'm going to be doing next is going to be a uh, uh, new interpretation on a margarita. So it's mm-hmm. going to be called Easy Being Green. It's going to okay. be Mezcal. Since St. C- Patrick's Day was yesterday, <laughs> is this an homage? Uh, it could be. Um, so it is going to be uh, uh, Mezcal, uh, tequila, green mm-hmm. chartreuse. Sounds more like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> <laughs> right? He always said it was Easy Being Green. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. So uh, green chartreuse, uh, jalapeno, mint, and then it's going to be Good topped Lord. off with a salted lime foam. All right, we'll get to it. You prepared to carry me out I of know, here. I know, exactly. All, All right. right, so Lauren Bernstein is the founder and CEO of the Culinary Diplomacy Project. And boiled down, basically she works with uh, high-profile American chefs, traveled to other countries and absorbed the culture and the cuisine. And okay, really... why don't you let her tell it? So Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. And and it's fascinating. I want to know. I want to know more about it, of course, but where you came up with the idea of sort of formalizing it in a process in an organization. Well, first, thanks for having me today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to be here. Um, so this uh, concept, culinary diplomacy, is um, it's been around, you know, really since the beginning of time, uh, sharing culture through food. Um, I previously worked at the U.S. Department of State where we had a program where we used food as a soft power tool for diplomacy, and we worked with chefs. She was an and- Obama appointee, I just want to say. Oh, I love you even more. <laughs> I know. Where is he when we need- Well, we got Joe. Okay, so, I like um, so uh, we, we worked with chefs, uh, sending them to our U.S. embassies all around the world, different kinds of public diplomacy programs. Embassies have all kinds of different goals that they're trying to accomplish, and chefs can really speak on so many different topics as, you know, authority figures. So um, the I started my work there, and then when I left the administration, I wanted to start a nonprofit where we could really expand on the concept. 
Um, the State Department's mission is only an overseas mission. And so there really was no ability for us to share those experiences back here with American audiences. And what are the messages that you're looking to share? And listen, we have chefs on every week. Um, when it comes to diplomacy, how do you go about educating the chefs on how to communicate in a way that is going to create a, a greater effect? You know, they instinctively know how to do that, um, I think, which is what makes Not this... all of them. <laughs> I, mean, I love them. She means the ones who can talk. No, no, right. no, no, no. I mean, I think it's it's about it's it's not really about them getting in front of a microphone and talking. It's about them getting into the kitchen and cooking um, and engaging with people all around the world. It's cooking with the grandmas. It's cooking with chefs in small towns all over, you know, all over the globe. And um, that's where the magic happens. That's where the diplomacy happens, because it's that human interaction and that um, experience and understanding of each other and each other's cultures is really what forms those bonds. So how do you bring these people together? Like, how do you go to a different country with, like, how many chefs do you take? And then what's, is there a desired conversation or or you're just going to let it happen? Like, what there must be goals and intentions set when you take these groups to travel. Yeah, so it, um, it varies, really, the number of chefs, depending on where we're going. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be between three and five chefs. Um, five is a lot, um, but we have done that. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, our goal really is to deep dive into the culture of that country, get off the beaten path and not be a tourist, um, you know, make sure the chefs are getting a regional understanding of that country. You know, if you come to the United States, you can't visit New York and think you've experienced this whole country. Of course. Um, and so, you know, we really want to make sure that we're traveling around, we're di- experiencing, because every region has a different sort of cultural influence. But the question I have, I mean, look, there are 55 yeah. different provinces, I guess you'd call them, in Italy alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and each one is like a little country, little yes. city-state kind of thing. But there are lots of countries around the world people have no experience in at all. I yeah. mean, you're not going to go to Miramar because it's dicey, but... To go to Thailand, are there in northern? Pardon me, northern Thailand is it completely different than in central Thailand? And how do you pick your regions and your countries? You know, we do our best with the time that we have. You know, chefs are very busy. A lot of our chefs have film schedules, mm-hmm. um, and and as you know, you know when they're in the restaurants, it's very hard to get them out of their restaurants when they've active. Well, restaurants. they do have to run a business. Exactly. So mm-hmm. we don't want to take up too much of their time. So we, our our trips are usually about eight to ten days, and mm-hmm. we fit in as much as we can in that time. So we will hit as many regions as we can um, to expose them to different. But who comes on the trips? Is are you just bringing the chefs? Are is it open to the public? Like, how does the program work? How is it funded? And how do you go about like engaging with these different chefs to come in? Um, so it, it's just chefs that we okay. bring. Um, it's it's for it, it's for them to focus on the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we select the chefs, you know, based on interest. We're a chef-driven nonprofit. Um, so our chefs have a lot of input um, in where they want to go and the things they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sort of drives um, drives us as well. Um, but, um, yeah, it just it, it sort of varies in terms of, of where we And where does the money come from? Um, <laughs> well, we have a fundraiser this week. <laughs> like, oh, I'm sorry. We left our checkbook <laughs> right. at home. I'm sorry. Um, we we do. Uh, I will just quickly plug mm-hmm. uh, Thursday and Friday of this week, the 23rd and 24th uh, mm-hmm. at Santa Rosa Taqueria on mm-hmm. Capitol Hill. Micheline Mendelssohn. Micheline Mendelssohn. Spike, Chef Spike Mendelssohn mm-hmm. um, and Chef Aron Sanchez mm. will be in town. Um, and we're going to be doing a tacos and margaritas 
a fundraiser both of those nights. Um, yes, but will there be a salt foam on top of the margarita? I don't know. That I think we need Mark question. to come. <laughs> I know. All right, I'm going to put a pin in it for just a second. We have to take a break. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Lauren Bernstein, who is the founder and CEO of the Culinary Diplomacy Project. Lauren, um, you know, when we, we, I guess the other question I have is when these chefs come back here, do you provide sort of ongoing mentoring or, or whatever so that what they learned, what they experienced, does spread out into the community? And also, how does that work through the Job Corps as well, those connections that you have? Yeah, so, um, you know, the great thing about chefs is they have a tremendous social media following, first of all. So we really lean into that for um, educating the public about the the places that we visited. So the followers of these chefs can experience the trip in real time along with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And their followers come from all parts of the U.S. And and the whole point of this is that we're trying to reach everyone uh, to have a conversation about culture. We never talk about politics or policy. That's not what we're about. We're just about that human connection and understanding each other a little bit better. Well, and given sort of how um, separate everything is right now, you know, there's I know you guys don't get into politics um, and you don't want food to be political. So how do you sort of uh, straddle that? Because it is it can be. Yeah, I mean, we you know, we we did a program where we went to Jordan and we worked Mm -hmm. with the U.N. to cook with Syrian refugees Mm -hmm. Um, And though that can be a political issue, we didn't talk about the politics of the situation. We just learned about the people, their culture, their food, their stories. Mm. Uh, Those recipes and those family traditions are a human connecting point for all of us. We can all understand that. We can all connect through that. And so what we do is we push all of that out of the way just to get down to human beings because we all really need to reconnect as human beings. Right. so to, to get to your question, we, you know, when the chefs come back, you know, they will have already shared through social, but we'll do in-person events in communities where um, there might be populations of people um, from the country we just visited. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will do in-person events where the chefs can come cook, um, cook with the people from that country, that share that experience. It's like continuing education. Exactly. And we do virtual programming. That's an outcome of the pandemic. Right. You know, we've really learned to lean into that and broaden our reach. Um, But we've also partnered with Job Corps, uh, which is uh, a a U.S. Department of Labor program that's been around Mm -hmm. for 50 years that very many people don't know about, which is a tragedy. So I've heard of AmeriCorps. Yeah, so it's totally different. Yeah, so Job Corps is a trade program for underserved youth aged 16 to 24. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's all trades. uh, Well, not all trades, but many, many trades that they offer. Culinary is one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, There are about 120 centers across the country in both urban and rural communities. Wow. Um, And uh, we have come in to partner with the culinary program. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually really exciting because... We are piloting in D.C. with the D.C. program, and we're incorporating culture into the culinary curriculum. Okay. So we're bringing in chefs from all different countries to expose them to these different cultures. So, but this is just at these job course centers? Like, how does that bleed out into the community? Yeah, so um, we are bringing our our local chefs in to engage with the students, um, cook with them, sort of allow them to form organic relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, The kids are gravitating to certain restaurant concepts and people. Um, and then the intention is to also create a hiring pipeline right. where we can influence. Which we so yeah. need, right? Exactly. The restaurants need employees, and these uh-huh. young people need mentors. So do you help Job Corps with outreach and sort of marketing what you all are doing, showing that there is a um, not only a career path, but um, 
an exploratory way to learn more about cultures and cuisines and travel, like showing sort of like a yellow brick road of what what is available? Yeah, um, we really are trying to sort of change the narrative on Job Corps because mm-hmm. um, so many people don't know about it. And right. the people that do think, you know, it, it's a two-year residential program. And, and to some people that feels restrictive, um, though you can move through the program much faster. Um, and they offer you so many opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also working with Job Corps. I'd love to mention that. Um, they've given us access to all of the Job Corps participants, participants Nate, the cocktails. Right. <laughs> it happens. Um, you know, you got me at the end of the cocktails. Right. Um, I thought you said for cocktail cocktails. <laughs> right. Don't say that. Um, so uh, nationwide, we're able to do virtual programming um, about uh, cultural education mm-hmm. with our chefs for all Job Corps participants, which is really exciting. Also. Oh, that is really exciting. Yeah. So how will you integrate all of that? Um, you know, when our chefs come back from trips, we'll mm-hmm. do virtual programming. Uh, where they will talk and cook and, and t- you know, talk about where they just visited. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will have instructed the culinary students on site with that cuisine so the young people will actually get to eat the food and learn about That's it. Great. And it's very cool. I feel like you should be talking to everybody in studio because there's lots of partnerships. Yes. I feel like could naturally I mean, happen. MoCo Eats, diversity in cuisine. That's I know. Really I feel like we well, have you're a sitting there holding Corey's hand. It's partnership a <laughs> going on here in studio. Okay, tell everybody, please... Um, before you tell us where we can find you and learn more about the event with um, Spike uh, next week. Yes, uh, I get Spike and Spike Mendelson and Ron Sanchez, mm-hmm. uh, Santa Rosa Taqueria on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing a Tacos and Margaritas mm-hmm. night, uh, March 23rd and 24th. Right. Um, it'll be a lot of fun. And both chefs will be there hanging out, chatting with everybody. I have no doubt. Um, where can we find you or the organization? So you can visit our website, which is at culinarydiplomacyproject.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're on Instagram, also at culinarydiplomacyproject. Thanks so much. Thank you. So good to hear about it. And when you you didn't say what the fundraiser was for, though, because you have a trip coming up. We do. So can you just tell everybody what that is? Yes. We are going to Mexico. Uh, right. Ron Sanchez uh, is leading that trip. He's from Mexico. And mm-hmm. so it's a little bit of a different format for us where he's sharing his Mexico with a few other chefs' uh, friends. Um, and we'll be traveling around Mexico experiencing uh, the different cultural cuisines, but really getting sort of a deep dive mm-hmm. into Mexico. So we're raising money for that program. Excellent. Okay, great. Thanks so much, Lauren. All right, Mark. All right, Steph- Mark. Nobody can walk in studio, Mark. Thanks so much. Yeah, David, how'd you like that uh, margarita? <sighs> Huh? Um, huh? Somebody is laughing. I'm brain dead. Uh, um, no. The so margarita is delicious. And that salt foam. I So when I hear foam, I'm just going to tell you honestly, I kind of go like, I kind of do, I call it a Tessa. Like I go blank eyed. That's my daughter. Like, you know, she just like. like oh, what do you want? So the only I'm, time she livens up is when she needs money. Yes, and that's she, true. Um, but uh, so foams I'm always like wary of. But yours was really perfect well the salt permeates the drink it's yes. not just in the foam it's good but it doesn't like leave a mustache like it's perfectly airy it's um lovely awesome thank you yeah we use a siphon for it so mm-hmm. that kind of creates that creamy that natural creaminess but also like allows it to hold uh, as you're sipping the cocktail well it's gorgeous all the cocktails have been terrific talk to us cool. a little bit about happy hour because they are coming back to the city right absolutely yeah so uh kind of going back to your earlier question on what's going on uh in beverage i think you know, the community of people getting together in a bar is super important to everybody these days. And mm-hmm. a way to, cat, um, you know, start that is through happy hour. So we feature happy hour on Monday. It's going to be a confidential Monday. So we do cocktail specials mm-hmm. on Tuesday. Very secret. Yeah, very okay. secret. Top okay. secret Tuesday, which is going to be a <laughs> well, you're told happy us, hour. Now do you have to kill us? 
I guess you'll have to come We're and find out. We're staying with the theme here. I <laughs> yeah. love it. Okay. And then uh, Wednesday is Classified Wednesday, which is going to be um, our wine specials. Oh. Yeah. To go along with our drink specials, we do have some food specials as well from mm-hmm. our executive chef at the hotel. Um, so some great food as well to go along with Excellent. that. Cool. Well, thank you for making all these great cocktails. Yeah. We've had so much fun. Um, tell everybody, please, where we can find you at Edgar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can follow the hotel on Instagram at uh, the Mayflower Hotel DC. Mm-hmm. And if you want to follow me and my drink creations, I'm at Rio Smart on Instagram. Excellent. Thanks right. so much for joining Thanks us today. Thanks so much for having me today. Okay, David, take my it away. Turn. All right, so uh, typically at this point of the show, I remind everybody that that war in Ukraine is essential for the Ukrainians <laughs> to win and for that criminal Putin to be put back in his place. Um, but it's kind of a different thing here. The State Department has created a program called the Welcome Corps. Mm-hmm. It is getting up and running. They're doing the organization. But you can register now at welcomecorps.gov. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can sign on to be part of a group. Like We've created a group of neighbors, and we are going to take on responsibility for uh, refugees, not necessarily Ukrainians from anywhere, um, uh, who are legally in the U.S. to help them find housing and jobs and, and medical care and all of that. It, there's a financial obligation of $2,275 per refugee, mm-hmm. but that's why you put a group together. It's totally worth it. And, um, you know, we all have a lot, and uh, it would be nice to give back to somebody who has nothing. So you can go online and find out all of that. Everything you've heard here today, you can find on the list, areyouonit.com, the online e-zine that tells you about everything happening in the D.C. metro area. Of course, you want to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, any of those social media platforms. You can see all of my travels and eat. We will be traveling. We're going to be in Palm Springs next week, so you definitely want to stay in touch because we are going to be going to some amazing places. Pictures of me in my bathing suit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I will um, mm-hmm. keep those to a minimum. Uh, and uh, But I do want to thank uh, everybody for joining us today in studio. Check out what's happening on Industry Night. It is now on YouTube, and we have some amazing, amazing guests. Um, staffing shortages are real. I just talked to Chris Floyd of CRR all about it. That'll be coming up soon. Check out the episode with John Azadorian because we talk about the real estate woes going on in the D.C. metro area. And most recently, I was talking with Mary Beth Albright about how to eat and eat well. So really great shows on there. You can download on a podcast platform or subscribe on YouTube. Uh, And you can subscribe to this show as well. Not only are we aired at 11 a.m. every Sunday on 1500, but you can download the show and listen too. So thanks to our guests for joining us today. Everybody have a delicious week.